Hello. Welcome to City and Policy. Podcast that explores the city, public policy in the Indian context. I am Jacob Bevy, your host, and today we look at an interesting topic, gender and the city. Different genders perceive the city and its environment differently. Research has shown that women see, analyze and navigate the city much differently than men. with various kinds of urban spaces in our cities inhabited by a variety of users equitable access to these spaces is an important thematic to be considered while developing public policy and plans for our cities be it a safe access to a public bus stop public toilet or even public transport the gender differences of a variety of users are often overlooked in policy design and urban planning my today's guest is sahiba gulati Saiba is an architect and researcher who teaches a very interesting studio Ungendering the Everyday City at Sept University. In this studio, she looks at how the city is being designed and imagined in the context of gender. Saiba has been researching on the intersection of women's access to public transport and public spaces. Saiba is a very dear friend and a colleague and when we work together, we often would have long interesting conversations on gender and the city. After much waiting and back and forth, I finally managed to get hold of Saiba one Tuesday evening where we discussed her thoughts on gender, her studio and reminisced about our long walk and talks during the good old days. Please welcome my dear friend and guest for today's episode, Saiba Gulati. Saiba, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a pleasure to have you on the show. I know we've been talking about this for the past one month, but congratulations on on the marriage, the wedding, and the, all the adventures that come with it. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for inviting me, Jacob. I'm very excited for this conversation and really happy that we're finally doing it. Right. So, Saiba, I've given a very very personal bio. Uh, since you are my you one of my good friends and of course we worked together i've given a very personal bio to of yours before you joined it so my first question to you is what led you here what led you to examine women gender especially in the urban built environment and you are an architect in the first place and then you moved on yes. to be a researcher right so what led you here what is that initial tug so um i was undertaking master of architecture in sept university and during our first semester itself the foundation semester we were asked to conduct a research in the city and uh, with a question that we had about the city so the city is ahmedabad right yes the city was ahmedabad okay. and Sorry. initially i thought that i will look at vendors because vending is a very widely prevalent activity in ahmedabad um but when i went to my chosen site which was rakhial in it's the old industrial area of ahmedabad i uh, conducted my site visit for about 3 to 4 hours and after about 4 hours i realized something very peculiar which was that i had seen and i'm not exaggerating i had seen about 100 men but only about two women during my time there and that uh, you know really inspired not inspired but made me very curious actually about the fact that where are all the women and then i shifted my focus from vendors to women 
and that is that was a starting point. I conducted a month long research there. I stood there every day for a month. I gathered data on the kinds of activities that everyone was doing, whether it was the vendors, the um, the owners of the shops, the customers, men, women, children, everybody. And uh, so it was a mapping based exercise and I conducted interviews. And the result of that was that men usually would come to that street for the purpose of leisure. Whereas women would conduct chores and quickly go back home and men would spend upwards of half an hour or one hour, whereas women would spend between five and 15 minutes. So the street became a place of leisure for men, whereas a place of work for women and women were, um, you know, kind of uh, more domesticated or they were restricted to the private realm and not they were not so present in the public realm. And that is when I became very interested because when we go out, we we have never, we never think that, you know, there are fewer women or there's a difference in the activities that men and women are doing. But once we start doing research, we will find very concrete differences in the behavior uh, between both genders. So yeah, that was my starting point. Right, I, I remember reading some bits of this i think you must have showed me some of the photographs you must have taken yes and yes but what is rather more amusing is your thesis your master's level thesis which was which had a very amusing title Hamne aapko dekha hai, right I'm, i yes. think i'm saying that right so that is about yes. women women using uh, public transport in Ahmedabad in in the public transport uh, buses everything in Ahmedabad so could you tell us what exactly was was your approach what were your findings and maybe what has changed, you know, when you look back in, in hindsight, what has changed after you've done that work? Um, so Jacob, yeah, actually came from an interview that I did with uh, one of the participants. And she said that I was traveling in the bus and this random person says, So this was to talk about how women are constantly surveilled by, or, you know, they are under the watchful eye or they're perhaps they are perhaps not safe completely in our current environment and uh, or they do not feel that safety that is what the point was of the title and um, but that had a very in-depth observation a very in-depth analysis which is not possible to be explained in a title alone, of course. And, uh, but of course we can talk about that in detail. Um, what led me to the topic was that once I had mapped the Rakhyal street in Ahmedabad, I uh, was very curious about the various differences in public places. And then when, as I kept on doing my research, I came across the fact that there are, you know, women are more um, dependent on public transport than men, because in India, vehicle ownership usually lies with men in the family, whether it would be a bicycle, even a rickshaw, a car, a two-wheeler, anything, right? Um, at the same time, women's share of transport via any modes, be it walking, cycling, public, private, anything, each day is only 23% in our country. And the same is in Ahmedabad, only 23%. 
So um, that means only 23% of the trips are made by women. And that was a striking, striking percentage. And that made me very curious. And I wanted to simply research as to, as a designer, as an urban designer, as an architect, how do we approach public transport? How do we understand its design, whether it is the design of the access, the egress, the bus stop, or the bus itself? So are there certain uh, different ways in which men use public transport? And do women negotiate with spaces in public transport differently? And what does that tell us about the design of the system itself? And there were very uh, many striking findings and it's not possible for me to list everything here, but I can tell you that there were very clear differences in the way in which both men and women were using public transport. And that led me to conclude certain ways in which we can design our bus stops differently, in which we can design our buses differently. And uh, well, and this was not just about, it was of course about uh, harassment, but also about the manner in which uh, women can access public transport. How accessible is it? So there is, you know, as Shilpa Fatke says, there is one thing that you know, everybody can get onto the bus. And it is another thing whether everybody does get onto the bus, right. you know? So those kind of findings, not related to, not so much related to, um, you know, policies such as reservation, but very strictly related to design and design, maybe, you know, design of the entrances, the exits, the seats, the, railing, the handlebar, everything, you know, very intricately looking at how does the design of these very small things encourage or discourage access for women. And um, coming to the point of what I think has changed since that time, I think because of the pandemic, there has been a rising uh, awareness about this gender disparity in not only our public spaces, but also in our homes. And uh, at the same time, there has been uh, rising awareness about that the fact that we need to provide better mobility, better public transport. And uh, that has been happening. So a lot of research around mobility has been happening, um, even around gender and mobility. But at the same time, no such um, design interventions, I would say, have been uh, uh, taken forward. Yeah, so that is what I would say for now. Right, I think I think that's a very very interesting statistic you put out there that only twenty three percent of the trips are made by women compared to a lot of number of. Yes, trips. Uh, this is these are in public reports actually. So every huh. year surveys are conducted. So these are in public reports, and that's right. where I found. Yeah, so so that also makes us think about women's mobility in that sense, and you know, uh, going back to your thesis about how women travel on buses, et cetera. So what do you think about making public transportation free for women? And I, I bring this because Delhi is doing the pink slip policy. I mean, especially mm -hmm. in the Delhi buses, a lot of cities are considering making public transport free for women. So as to encourage ridership, that is, that's one angle to it. What do you think? I mean, for a lot of common folk, it looks like it's a freebie policy. It, mm -hmm. it gives some freebie, right? right? Um, 
do you think that's 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 one that's one way to encourage ideaship? There's maybe there could be a different imagination of doing that. Uh, maybe look at whether everybody are willing to pay or not pay, and maybe give a subsidy. So, where is your thoughts on making it free for them? Right, that's a very interesting question because uh, when you know the government had the Delhi government had launched this initiative there was a lot of talk and i would say a lot of um, contesting views about this right, right so right. this is a very uh, interesting question it i think definitely this policy has some basis because what happens is that a lot of women do not have access to capital to be able to uh, you know even get on to public transport uh, we are imagining from our own kind of um, purview as, you know, a middle class um, Indians, but at the same time, we also need to understand what happens in a household, a low income household, where there may be one earning person, for example, one earning member, and uh, there may be many other people. And... Uh, you know, so if the woman of the house does not have access to capital, she may not be able to make those trips. Sometimes what happens is that then when the access to capital is limited, our opportunities get limited. For example, I may only make necessary trips or I may not be able to access certain um, job opportunities. I may not have access to other places in the city that I may need to visit to be able to uh, access resources and for that low income group this actually makes sense why because in a lot of households in India as I said one the vehicle ownership lies with men so actually there are more women who are dependent on public transport it does not matter whether they're using it or not what this policy is trying to do is it is trying to attract that you know wide audience that needs public transport and this audience does not have access to a vehicle in fact the largest uh, you know um, percentage holder of walking as a mode of transport is women that means so many women walk to work and what that does is if my you know only mode that is accessible to me is walking i will only be able to access a few resources a few opportunities whether it is job whether it is you know utilities so, so on and so forth but if i'm able to access public transport for free you know then my uh, horizon becomes it starts stretching and that is wonderful so th this kind of policy is going to pull in those women at the same time what happens is that um, how do we make public transport not only you know this not only giving them a free ticket but also trying to understand what are the other obstacles that these women may be facing for example um if i get on so right now i'm in delhi right i got married uh, and um my fiance and I decided to live in Delhi for a month. So right now for one month, I'm here. And this reminds me of the time when my brother was living in Greater Noida. And at that time, what happened was that for the metro did not go to Greater Noida. So you had to get off at Noida and take a bus for Greater Noida. 
and that at night that seemed a very risky endeavor for a woman so what happens when i get off the bus right. how do i get home right how, what happens when i get off the metro that is one and what happens when i sit in the metro or when i try to access the metro because uh, yes there are a few uh, you know women's compartments but at the same time a lot of uh, women are not able to access the general compartments also because of fears of uh, not being safe in fact um, there was this report that was published uh, i think by the urban catalyst it's an organization right and they had said that 97% of women have said that they have faced some form of public sexual harassment right so uh, so it's a very real fear if 97% of women are saying that so how do we then start to understand the design of our public transport systems that it is not only that i can get on the metro uh, that i have a free ticket to get on the metro but how can my experience be more safe that is one secondly what are the different kinds of users right uh, so there would be um, pregnant women uh, women with children and our studies have found that more women conduct smaller chores and do trip chaining and uh, so these are very you know studies that have been done in every every um, say city in the world mm. so how does that you know how does that uh, come into this policy about um women being able to access more resources because they are trip chaining and they have so they're they're a to b but maybe a b c d e so how do we imagine our policies around their specific travel needs so yeah right i think i think that's that's very interesting and that's an exciting phase to think of and i had a question which is coming much later but i will push it up right now so i think uh, you in your in your studio description of course that is a studio which is uh called ungendering the city which is won an excellence award recently um and i think in one of the studio descriptions it is written the indian city was designed for the automobile i think and that's a valid research finding uh even which i have found in some of my research as well so in india automobile ownership is linked to men i mean it's it's only very few women who own cars or any kind of automobile for that matter so when you design a city for the car or for the automobile you are automatically excluding half the population it's, it's just yes. gone right it's just gone um, why do you think that happens i mean why do you think such city design exists for, and do you think city planners are oblivious to this fact and were they just conceived for men for that in the first place mm, okay so first of all commenting on our city designers oblivious that is something i would not be able to comment on right because that is uh, that would require me to know a lot of city planners right, right right what i can say is that the current results that we see are not so encouraging for women and um, so yes why are such policies being made in the first place so for example um if we take the example of the united states let's you know pause for a minute for for india and go to the united states uh, so when the freeways were being uh, built when the highways uh, were being built a lot of the population was convinced on the basis that if ever you know there is an attack on the united states you will be able to 
get out of the city uh, very fast you know so that is one thing and uh, as we know in united states there is a lot of um, dependence on private automobiles rather than public transport right so that is one so now when i come to the indian city indian cities are also trying to achieve this kind of global progress right so how uh, because a lot of um, middle class families own vehicles and so a lot of um, there's this fascination with how we can move faster all over the world how we can reach from one point to the other point very fast right and what happens in that process and of course when i say automobile there is provision for public transport whether it is bus transport or metro so that is there so i'm not necessarily saying that it is private transport but transport nonetheless so what happens when when this kind of a focus is there is that we forget that there is a pedestrian there would be a pedestrian path but there is no imagination of how one would even approach the pedestrian path how does one or there would be a public transport uh, bus stop but there is no imagination of how does one get to the bus stop right so now a lot of uh, so what happens is a lot of um, para transit has um, taken place of that gap you know uh, has filled in that gap so people take auto rickshaws but a lot of women are dependent on um, the vehicle owners of their families say their sons their husbands to pick them up so what then that means that these women when they become dependent and they're not completely independent it again you know limits their accessibility um again coming to the fact that there is research that is going on uh, across various places about how one can really improve access and egress that is there mm-hmm. so i would not say that you know there is this complete oblivion about this fact but there is a lot that needs to improve that is what i would say right Anyways, I think since since we brought up the point of your studio and Saiba, you teach at SEPT University, we work together. Um, your recent studio was ungendering the city, right? Yes. Uh, could you could you tell us a little more about it? I mean, since we've come to the studio topics. Yes. So, ungendering the everyday city is based on the fact that again, coming to the point that how do we uh, imagine the city as a place where both men and women are able to enjoy accessibility leisure and safety right so going you know going beyond currently have and going beyond this imagination of women as uh private beings and that is not something that necessarily we would accept in public knowledge but that is something that is acted out that women are more in private places than public places so how do we imagine public places to be more accessible so what we do is that we make our students undergo a research on a public street and um, places of public involvement that is places where they would um, you know uh, men or women or girls or boys uh would go out and pause so places of pause for them and we conduct static mapping at those places as well as you know uh um these maps of movement 
So when we do that, we are able to clearly understand the relationship between the physicality of spaces and the negotiation of um, the everyday acts that people undertake. So what happens is that usually designers think of spaces as bland canvases where activities take place. But research has constantly shown that space is an active participant in whatever happens. So if someone is not accessing a place to the maximum possible degree, there is something that can be improved in the design of that area. And uh, so that is what we aim to achieve through the studio. So once the students conduct the research, they're able to create very, they're able to um, understand very specific links between how the place is designed and therefore how it is discouraging, you know, people from coming there, I mean, women from coming there. And then they are able to uh, intervene, redesign, or, uh, you know, build very specific programs that will really encourage uh, more women to use public spaces. And one example that I can give you is that, um, you know, in public places in India, uh, there is not a lot of access to public toilets. And what that does is that it discourages a lot of women women, uh, let's say women vendors, women who have to work on the street, mm -hmm. uh, women who may be menstruating, women who may be pregnant, so on and so forth from accessing these places. And if there are toilets, they would mostly, and uh, this is, you know, data that we've obviously collected, they would mostly not be usable or um, really, again, accessible. I'm using the word accessible a lot, but that is, you know, the crux of the studio, the accessibility. Right. And so how do we reimagine a toilet, for example? How do we reimagine a bus stop? How do I reimagine um, a waiting area? How do I reimagine a street, a marketplace, so on and so forth? So a lot of these um, projects are undertaken in our studio. Right. So I, I think that also comes to the question of how design uh, eventually plays out. And I, I remember we did did this uh, exercise about overcrowding in buses, right? And yes. you, you explained to me that uh, women find it not just difficult because of how it is, that it's designed in a manner where the end user is a well-bodied male, you know, who can, who can reach the handle, who can, you know, not fall if the bus immediately stops. So, so do you, what do you think about that? I mean, how can that design itself be changed to you know, accommodate a variety of users, and I'm not just limiting here to men and women, but a variety of you know. Yes, you're right. That so definitely, uh, as you just said, not just men and women. Our studio explicitly focuses on men and women, but we acknowledge that there is you know a range of genders. But currently, we are focusing only on men and women. Um, so this line that you're talking about comes from. Shilpa Fadke, uh, Shilpa Ranade, and Samira Khan's book, Why Loiter? Right. And right. Why Loiter states that public spaces in the Indian city are made for Hindu, middle class, able-bodied, young, um, and uh, I think, yeah, young men, basically. So right. Right. this is what uh, 
Shilpa Fatke and Samira Khan and Shilpa Rana, they are saying. And why do they say that? It's because when we imagine public transport, when I imagine even this bus, you know, what I'm imagining is that someone will be able to get on the step of the bus and will be able to hold the handle, will be able to stand for say one, one and a half hour because th those are the durations of trips that we have noticed. Mm -hmm. Will be able to travel with a certain, uh, you know, comfort in that environment and will be able to go from wherever the bus starts to where the, wherever the bus stops for example, right? If we talk about public transport. But what it does not take into account is the fact, for example, as I was talking previously, is that public, that women's travel needs are different. For example, um, research around the world has found that women are responsible for a lot of care needs, that women would be traveling with children are more, um, you know, they would be traveling with children, they would be traveling with elders, and with a lot of, they would be conducting a lot of chores, so they may have shopping bags, mm -hmm. um, etc., so on and so forth. So that is one, that they may not go from, so current, when public transport was designed, it was designed to go from house to work. But what women would do that they might, you know, uh, come, be, while coming back from work, first pick up their child, then they may pick up some groceries, they may come back uh, and you know take their um, someone uh, old from the house to uh, the doctor and so on and so forth. So these kind of um, these kind of activities have not been you know thought through in the public transport system. So then what happens is that when I am standing in the bus and I am a woman and I have shopping bags in my hand, for example, um, how do I hold the handle? Secondly, we have also found that the handle is too high, right? So right. Um, for a lot of women, that is one. We have also found that overcrowding, what happens is that overcrowding makes a lot of women uncomfortable. So because a lot of women have reported that when buses are overcrowded, there is a higher chance of them being physically harassed, sexually harassed. And um, there is also this fear of women confronting their harasser because there is a chance that they might attack them back. So therefore, this kind of public transport has not been thought through, not just for women, but you know, for uh, differently abled people. And uh, so how do we start to understand then that there is a wider range of needs that a body has not so, for that, what, what one needs to do is conduct very specific research into whatever one wants to design, whether it is a bus, it's a bus stop, it's a street, it's a market, very specific research, user research into the various acts and the ways in which people use and then design for the range of ages, genders, abilities, classes, everything. Right. right. I think that's, that's, that's a good point because a lot of the times we miss these variety of users i think and that's also because policymakers come in with a lot of bias their their class bias their you know gender bias and I'm, i'll ask you about that in a bit but i think saiba i think this this is the place where the podcast gets a little controversial um mm -hmm. and and I, I think you know what i'm going to talk about so uh, we've spoken about women we've spoken about you know different kinds of users but the elephant in the room is patriarchy. i think 
a lot of us have acknowledged it. Um, it's also now coming out in research that patriarchy has been one of the biggest reasons why gender discrimination still exists. So now in your studio exercise, right, in that particular space of academy exploration, uh, how do you explore patriarchy? You know, how, what are the different forms you might have encountered? Uh, now, you've also spoken about how, uh, you know, this, this entire studio moves from the house to the city, from the home yes. to the city. So even there, you know, within our homes, how do you see this uh, happening, especially with respect to trade, with respect to men, with a lot of, lot of things. I mean, so I'm asking you, patriarchy from, from homes to city, how do you encounter, what do you see, what are your thoughts about that? So this is very interesting because we do not um, feed into the students' minds such ideas, but we allow them to come up with these questions themselves. And how we do that mm -hmm. is students would usually um, first be asked to map a street from memory and think about how they would maneuver that street and what would really uh, encourage them or what would they really dislike and what is memorable and what is unpleasant. So they would create a map of such things. And then they would start to notice that our um, bodies really just uh, without even you know, realizing, they react to our environment in certain ways. And when there is a class, mixed class of uh, students where there are boys and girls, they realize that there are differences in the ways that they uh, react to their surroundings. And that is where the discussion starts, where people start realizing that, okay, that our uh, bodies actually are able to experience space depending on who I am, whether I am a certain age, I am a certain gender, I'm a certain class, and that is how I experience space, right? So that is the first exercise. And that is where the conversation starts. And when, we move into the home, we ask students to map their own homes for a week, where they would just, you know, create a map where with all the people of their house, how much time do they spend where, and through that, a lot of findings have come out. For example, um, students have started noticing that their mothers spend a lot of time in the kitchen, and even if the mother is um, employed outside, even then, it is the mother or the female of the house who is doing most of the unpaid labor. And uh, as I spoke before in the beginning, that the street is a place of you know leisure for men and chores for women. The house also is, for a larger part of the day, a place of work for women and leisure for men. And this is where students start exploring the relationship between the house and the city. They've realized various things such as someone's mother took a job, she could come back at any time to conduct chores, whereas the uh, male counterpart was able to required. And um, so our, though our studio does not try to create a conversation of whether this is right or wrong. What we're trying to do is we're trying to imagine designs of homes, of streets, which would encourage more equity in access. So how can I, for example, create a domestic space where if you know 
the mother is spending most of the time in the kitchen how can i club that with more public activities or how can i create the design of the house so that more people are involved in the kitchen and how do i create this kind of equity through design so because what as i said before space is an active participant so when i create small changes uh, in my design slowly and slowly it will lead to small changes and that is what the studio hopes to do right so i think uh, cyber we we used to have a long uh, we used to have a lot of these long talks and walks i would call that walk and talks where yes. uh, we, we we would roam around and then we would you would educate me on the concept of uh, eyes on the street or women's purpose in the public space which is linked to morality which comes again from fatke's work so could you tell us more about eyes on the street and women's purpose in the street that those concepts yes so eyes on the street was first coined by jean jacobs as we you know famously known uh, right. concept right. Mm -hmm. and um, so what jacobs told us was that people are more likely to feel safe in public spaces where there are eyes on the street so for example i may find that when i say i i mean you know anybody might think that you know uh, planners might feel that for example vendors are a nuisance but a lot of our studies have found that women feel safer in crowded spaces rather than spaces which are just posh and um, you know clean with footpaths and lighting if they are devoid of any people they will feel very unsafe so it's not the footpath which makes me feel safe but even if there is no footpath but a lot of people the women will be able to feel safe and this will can also go for men you know it is not necessarily for just for women but when there are more people when there are more eyes on the street when there is a varied um you know audience on the street not audience is the wrong word but when there are varied users of the street then this diversity creates different kinds of eyes and therefore safety so our concepts you know uh, these concepts that we have of very clean streets may not be very uh, gender friendly is what i'm going to say right okay. so we need to really question ourselves while creating these kind of policies about where should a vendor be or uh, what kind of uh, facades when i say facades i mean what kind of boundary walls am i creating across the street are there any eyes are there any um, you know is is there any natural surveillance which will allow people at all times to feel safe mm -hmm. so these are very hard questions and these are of course very hard to really bring about but um, there is always natural surveillance it starts to take place in our indian streets at least and that is something that we need to explore and uh, really understand how much that contributes to safety the other concept that you talked about was you know how that women access the public space uh, by exhibiting a purpose and this is something that uh, is expressed in wyloiter mm -hmm. and uh, that and this is something that uh, i started um, examining my students started examining after we read this line 
you know when one is standing on a public space one would in for example a deserted street waiting for someone so questions were asked by the team of violator to participants that if a woman had to wait for someone where would she wait and they would usually place her at the bus stop and um, if they said if a man would ha have to wait for someone where would he wait and they would place him anywhere on the street so women are not seen loitering in indian streets at least i am not so aware about you know streets across the world but in indian streets women are not seen loitering without a purpose and there is a certain purpose that one exhibits or one is considered um you know as i would i would quote fatke where she says that you know what happens if you go out at night and you're hit by a car the series of events that would follow would be that you are um, you know the police comes and you would be taken in for med medical care and so on and so forth but if you are a woman and you out at night and you are raped before any of that can happen you will be asked why were you out at night what were you doing there and what were you wearing and who were you with so women are considered uh you know uh safe or women who are considered uh more um, you know likely to be protected are those who were out with the purpose otherwise there is a lot of blame that goes on to the victim there is so this is a problem that we currently face and that's that's how i would explain it yeah right no i i think that's that's a very valid point because uh, there is there is a time so there is there are a lot of people who say at this point of time the street is not safe for women yes. so you know there, there is that uh, very interesting and and that feeds into a lot of policy and a lot of design as well because um, i i bring this from the fact that uh, sometimes when we discuss about cycling in in the indian street um, a lot of policy makers will say but who cycles these days right i mean there's an immediate bias which comes in which says who cycles these days and and similarly when we tell up people about safe streets and everything ha ah, but it's always safe and that safe is get associated with a particular gender it's not for women yes. or not for the other so that brings me to my next question which is all about biases which is all about the gender biases people bring into policy and design uh, what yes. do you think about these biases and what do you think are the remedial measures to address these biases um uh, again that is something that uh, i would um, address so there's something very interesting uh was said in this um uh who not sorry not who this um, world bank report mm -hmm. and uh, it was by nancy van dyke and she said i'm i'm not sure if i'm correctly but okay. uh, she said that if we are and i'm paraphrasing that if uh, we have to make sustainability a reality you know we have to really convince women to use public transport because women are moving away from public transport and um, i know you're not just talking about public transport but since that is my you know area of interest i keep going back to that mm. but that is that is what that we have to be very conscious of the fact unless we are conscious that there is there are um, groups with special not special is the wrong word there are groups with requirements that are different from what has been considered the norm till now one will not be able to con conduct research in that area and one will not be able to implement policies in that area 
for example a lot of policies are um, you know uh, just uh, initiated just by our perceptions and uh, for example uh, there may be these may be policies about you know uh, just creating some subsidies but they 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 will always be piecemeal initiatives unless one understands the depth of the issues unless one understands the uh length and breadth of the issues that all the uh, parameters that are needed to be addressed in order to allow more and more um genders to people of different genders to access uh whatever we want them to access so one has to recognize and this is not not something that one does on purpose if we say that the policy is gender biased it may just be because one is uh, one has only been educated in certain ways and that is fine but since one is um, now in a place where one can make policy it is imperative that we start educating ourselves about the various users about the various groups and that can only be done through reading research done about various groups or conducting those researches ourselves and then coming to a policy rather than just you know making mm -hmm. some kind of uh, piecemeal measures so this requires a lot of study even yes. in so when i was studying master of architecture i was uh, majoring in history theory and criticism and what we realized was that every person comes with a bias and by and bias does not mean that one is using it negatively but what that means is that there are influences in our life right from our education to our um upbringing and so on and so forth and those are the ones that form our views but now the extent to which i educate myself to that extent i will be able to make you know some difference and that is what is required right so i think i think we are coming to the end of this so my next question would be a little futuristic um in its uh, in its way so we are also seeing right now a lot of discourses around gender and i think that that the reason it also opened up immediately was because the me too had come up uh, you know a lot of people had started coming out and saying this is what we feel, felt in the workplace this is what we felt in the public space and so many of these have just spiraled into a new entire discourse i mean of course there were discourses i'm not denying that fact but it has also become a mainstream discourse where do you think this is going to play out in the future what's going to happen maybe in in urban areas or in public policy in terms of gender i think there are uh, i'm hopeful uh, okay. jacob very honestly mm -hmm. and i think there are initiatives that are uh, coming up all over the world mm -hmm. and there are initiatives in india itself uh, there is this organization called safety pin they have uh, been working with the government to um create various um, changes in our urban environments there is uh, this organization called the urban catalyst and they conduct they also inform various organizations on transport on how to make transport more accessible for various genders mm -hmm. uh, people of various genders and um, so i am hopeful that as more as we keep you know advancing into the future there will be more and more organizations and people who will start becoming aware and who will start contributing uh, to making you know our urban areas more equitable is the word i would use 
and uh, so it will be slow it will mm. not be fast okay. but definitely we can see certain changes happening in the future and whether that is you know something as small as more lighting in public spaces to as big as you know new designs for entire public areas so yes i think that, that that's a very optimistic way um, my last question this is absolutely the last one uh, if someone had were listening to this podcast okay they were enlightened by our gyan on all of this and they <laughs> wanted to go back and read something about what right. would you suggest read or watch or anything what what would you suggest what comes on top of him so um the first thing that i would want them to watch is this uh, ted x talk or it's a ted talk by shilpa fadke on wiloiter then they should read wiloiter um they can also read um the illegal city um i think it's by ayona datta mm-hmm. um and uh, they can read um they can read wait i'm sorry no that's that's completely fine that's, not, that's okay that's okay they can read uh, Okay, I'm totally blanked out suddenly, Jacob. No problem, no problem. I think that's fine. I think I'll put that in the show notes when when you let me know what those fine other books are. But that's okay. That's completely understood. I think Why Loiter is an essential read. I think that's a wonderful book. Uh, I think that is a starting point for, yeah. and then we can go into further readings. Mm-hmm. Um, there are various other uh, researchers that one can uh, refer to. One is Asif Bayat. he has uh, written about uh, the feminism of everyday life mm-hmm. and uh, his research is also very interesting and uh, it really depends on the area that i want to study because various urban areas for example transport would have different researchers and street design would have different researchers mm-hmm. so there is a lot of research out there that has been conducted it is just that one needs to you know keep uh, going at it that's all right right i think i think this is wonderful saiba i think it's enlightening i think this is very much just like how we used to do our walk and talk uh, <laughs> i'm excited i'm excited to see this come out and i'm excited to meet you when you're back in amdabad and i'm more happy for your greatest adventure that just started so <laughs> thank you so much yeah so thank you so much for doing this with us uh, keep in touch i will meet you very very soon thank you so much Thank you so much Jacob I really enjoyed doing this All right okay